I'm about to uh, really kind of give you a downer. It's just the way things are. Uh, it's been two weeks to the day, two weeks to the day since we started a brand new year. Two weeks since many of us made some kind of resolution, formally or informally, for 2023 to be measurably better than 2022. Two weeks. Two weeks, and now statistically, almost 30% of you who two weeks ago today said, it's going to be a better year, you've already bailed on your commitment. By the time we get to the 4th of July, fewer than 50% of us will be following our commitment. And by next New Year's Eve, only 9 to 12% of us will be able to give one another a high five for having followed through with our commitment. You know what? news, we have a hard time sustaining our commitments. Sometimes it's just not all that important. For instance, the last semester of my senior year in college, January 1st, 1988, I made a commitment to God and my roommate that I would make my bed every single day. And it really didn't matter too much to my roommate that I didn't keep that up through the week. Sometimes the resolutions, the commitments we make are not all of that important. But when it comes to our commitment to follow Jesus, it's very important. In fact, the concept of sustaining is one of the five key concepts of what it means to follow Jesus, and it's the habit that we will spend our time looking at today. If you would please find Philippians chapter 2, verse 12 in your copy of God's Word. We are in the midst of a little series to start our new year called Living a 5S Year. And in it, we are revisiting what Blue Valley calls the five essential habits of a Jesus follower with an eye toward incorporating those habits into our lives in 2023 as, let's just call it what it is, a resolution. But frankly, if you have committed your life to follow Jesus as Savior and Lord, these habits are not optional, 2023 or any other year. They are essential to what it means to follow Jesus. I hope you found Philippians 2, verse 12 in your copy of God's Word. Would you stand, please, as we honor the reading of the Word this morning? Philippians chapter 2, verse 12. Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now not only in my presence, but much more in my absence, Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for His good pleasure. Do all things without grumbling or disputing, that you may be blameless and innocent, children of God, without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation, among whom you shine as lights in the world, holding fast to the word of life, so that in the day of Christ I may be proud that I did not run in vain or labor in vain. Even if I am to be poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrificial offering of your faith, I'm glad and I rejoice with you all. Likewise, you also should be glad and rejoice with me. May God add a blessing to the reading of His Word and you may be seated. So what does it mean? What does it really mean to sustain our walk following Jesus. Two things. I know you're shocked, not three things, <laughs> but two things that come out to us 
in this passage. First, followers of Jesus sustain through a strong engagement. I want you to think about that. Followers of Jesus sustain through a strong engagement. And the fact that a strong engagement is called for here is flagged for us by the words, work out. Two things about that word. It's one word in Paul's language, two in English. Two things about that word are important to grasp. First, that it has the sense of working at something until it is completed. My dad instilled this in me. We, we both have this, frankly, almost pathological need, if we are doing a chore outside, to not stop doing it until it is complete. Not to quit for a breather, not to quit for a drink of water, not to quit for the paramedics to give us an IV to replenish our dehydrated bodies. This is something about my dad that drives my mom crazy, and I assure you that it drives my wife crazy about me. But that is what this word, this phrase, looks like. To work out is a dynamic word that means staying at something tenaciously until it's finished. But the second thing to grasp of importance from this word work out is that it's in the present tense. Don't let your eyes roll back in your head when I start pulling out grammar on you. That present tense is very important because it carries the idea of a continuing action. Therefore, what Paul is saying is that we are to keep working to sustain our commitment to follow Jesus as an energetic daily activity until the journey is complete and we are to never give up. So obviously, a follower of Jesus is someone who grasps hold of Christ's hand and tenaciously and doggedly with every ounce of their energy commits to follow him. They are strongly engaged. But what does that look like in the day-to-day -day nuts and bolts of our life. Well, at first, it's got to involve a strong engagement to God's people, a deep connection with the body of Christ in whom we have been placed and around whom we have surrounded ourselves as a support for this engagement in following Jesus. Now, Bible scholars who need something to write or who need an article published We'll spend lots of time debating in academic papers or in biblical commentaries whether Paul in this passage is commanding individuals to work out their salvation with fear and trembling or whether he is uh, speaking to the church corporately to work out their salvation with fear and trembling. Here's the answer. doesn't matter. It doesn't matter because a, a church is nothing more than a collection of individual followers of Jesus. So the command to work out has implications that run both ways, both in the church's commitment to follow Jesus and in our individual commitment to follow Jesus. Now, here's, here's what we can take from this as individuals. It highlights the fact that sustaining a commitment to follow Jesus as an individual is inseparable from being engaged with God's people in our lives, the church. In other words, you can't Follow Jesus by working out your salvation with fear and trembling if you do not have a strong attachment, engagement to the church. There is no such thing as a healthy commitment to follow Jesus. No such 
thing as a healthy commitment to follow Jesus without an effort to sustain that commitment through a strong engagement to the church. You aren't meant to do this by yourself. There's not a single example that you can find in the New Testament where someone is flourishing in their walk with Jesus, disconnected from the church. You can't do it by spending Sunday mornings at your kid's sporting event, and you can't do it by streaming it online when you could otherwise be here. But this strong engagement to God's people carries with it more than just the notion of showing up, just being present. It, it carries with it the idea of being a contributing member. And I'm not talking about finances, although that's going to be a part of it at some point. Specifically in Philippians 2, the thing that was being called to preserve, we see it in the text that we just read, is, is the unity of the church. It was threatening to fray at the edges. And so Paul, as a part of everybody's working out their salvation with fear and trimming, is calling the body to have its individuals committed strongly to the maintenance of unity in words and in actions. Therefore, the encouragement we draw from this passage is that we sustain our commitment to follow Jesus by being fully and wholeheartedly engaged in the benefits of belonging to a church, expending effort to maintain the health of the church, and then personally advancing, personally advancing the ministry of the church. Let me tell you something funny happened you may not think it's funny. I'm a preacher. Weird things are funny to me. Let me tell you something that happened. Right before Christmas, I'm meeting with a, a group as a regular basis of some next generation leaders. That's just code for a lot younger than me that are going to be next generation here at, at Blue Valley as leaders, already starting to lead and will for sure be frontline leaders, you know, in 10 years or so. And and one of the things I asked them right before Christmas, I said, you know, how how strongly do you think our church is engaged with our multiply vision? In case you've forgotten, we are a multiplying church that is establishing campuses locally and planning autonomous churches locally, regionally, nationally, and internationally. I said, how well do you think our people know that? And they said, pretty good. I think our people know that pretty good. And so the next question was, okay, so how many of them do you think would be willing to go? Everybody ducked their heads. Everybody loves the idea as long as it's somebody else that's going. Well, part of what's being called for from us here is not that we'll all go, but that we'll all ask the question. That we'll all ask the question. I I kid you not, I've asked the question of me. Maybe the last 10 years of my ministry life is best spent for the kingdom, not being here, but being in a church plant somewhere where it's warmer. Um, (laughs) I believe this is where, to maybe some of your chagrin, I believe this is where God would have me be. But but we all have to have that attitude towards the church. Sitting on the sidelines of the action within the church or never showing up for the game at all inevitably weakens your effort to sustain your commitment to following Jesus. But obviously this strong engagement goes below those connections and actually gets down to the personal root level of our life in a variety of ways. First, it manifests itself, I think, called for in the text, by strongly engaging God's potential for our lives, which is just a, a fancy way of saying pursuing holiness in our lives, which is what God has given us the potential to be, to be holy people. I want you to look at the passage again. Look at verse 14. Do all things without grumbling or disputing, that you may be blameless and innocent. Children of God, 
without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation among whom you shine as lights in the world. During my college years, there was a book that was really held on to dearly by people my age. Some of you may be familiar with it, earlier service more familiar with it than this one. It's called The Pursuit of Holiness by Jerry Bridges. That whole idea of holiness is something to be pursued has always stuck with me, though I've failed miserably time and time again in that pursuit. The idea that holiness is to be pursued is at the heart, really, of what we see in these verses. We are to engage the potential that God gives us for holy living. In the case of the Philippian church, it was holy living in their attitude towards one another. Don't constantly say you can't stand one another and then project to the world that we are loving followers of Jesus. Make sure your testimony can bear up with what you are saying to the world. It goes without saying, I think, on our level, that failing to strongly engage this pursuit so badly short-circuits our, our efforts to follow Jesus that someone would be right to ask, if we're not having a life that is pursuing holiness, whether we're following Jesus in the first place. Because we have all been given the opportunity to shine for Jesus in reflecting his life to the world, his life of holiness. Now, the pursuit of holiness, in our minds, almost automatically translates to the idea of sin avoidance. In, in other words, for me to pursue holiness, we, we think less of what we're to become and more of what we're to avoid. And it's easy to tell ourselves that we are pursuing holiness if our lives don't manifest any of the biggies. But you aren't really pursuing holiness if all you're doing is to try to avoid the worst sins imaginable. Can we agree with that? Here's how I'm learning to, to answer the question, what is the worst sin? I get that sometimes. What is the worst sin? Here's how I'm learning to answer that. Whatever sin I'm dealing with right now, N not what's going on out there. I mean, we are really good about pointing at what's out there. Always thinking of the worst sins imaginable as out there just builds your self-righteousness. That's all it does. It just makes me, because I'm avoiding things that will get me in jail or in the paper, think that I'm some kind of paragon of virtue. I need to worry about what's showing up in my life. That is the worst sin of the world. And to categorize the worst sins as a convenient catalog of things I never struggle with proves nothing about my pursuit of following Jesus. Our strong engagement also manifests itself in our efforts uh, to strongly engage with the Word. Strongly engage with the Word. Paul continues his plea for full-on engagement by commanding the Philippians to hold fast to the word of life. This is Paul's way of saying to the Philippians that the gospel that saved you needs to be the thing that sustains you that you are engaging with that. By this, he means that you're not simply once you give your life to Jesus to park your faith. Instead, you are to deeply embed the principles of the gospel of Jesus Christ into our lives through corporate worship, 
through private devotion, through study, and this isn't all just to, you know, fill out our habits better or to increase our knowledge. All of this has a practical benefit. It allows us to see on the pages of Scripture the character that Christ is forming in us because we have been saved and to persevere in that faith until Christ returns. Now, folks, this only paints a broad picture, these things I've just mentioned, of what it means to sustain a commitment to Christ through strong engagement. But I think it's enough. It's enough to show us that there is a responsibility that comes when you receive from Jesus forgiveness and heaven and Christ himself. To engage that faith in every way imaginable in your life. So let me ask you right now, based on the past few minutes and the description that I've tried to give you from the Word, are you working out your faith in this way? If, if someone were to ask you, what is the one thing that you're giving 1,000% of yourself to? that part of your life where you're just jamming it into fifth gear and floored it. What part of that, of your life is that? How many would say it's Jesus? Now here's the thing, folks. I had to ask myself that question first. And, and, and if I'm being honest with myself, and I think if you're being honest with yourself, you recognize, man, there's a whole lot of stuff that really captures my imagination and my energy that have nothing to do with Jesus. Do I, Derek Lynch, not Derek Lynch pastor, but just Derek Lynch, live my days with fear and trembling, expending myself to the nth degree to pursue Jesus? Or are my days more filled with yawns and stretches, starts and stops. A follower of Jesus sustains their commitment to follow Jesus through strong and great engagement. There is no such thing as a passive follower of Jesus. And I was reminded of something between services to quote the great prophet Yoda. <laughs> do or do not. There is no try. Now, I just played a trick on you with glee. <laughs> Everything that I've just described to you, is you're incapable of. I, I'm incapable of it. I, I mean... I live in a fallen world and I have fallen flesh and there are so many things that compete for my allegiance that I cannot do what Paul is calling for me to do here. But, but there's the rest to the story because not only are followers of Jesus to sustain through a strong engagement, they sustain through supernatural empowerment. I want you to look at what he says after having said just... Leave it all out on the field in verse 12. He says, For it is God who works in you both to will and to work 
for his good pleasure. The key word in the verse is the first one. It is the word for. And here's why it's so important. It lets us know that the foundation of what Paul has called for in verse 12 is found in the power of verse 13. In other words, when I surrender my life to follow Jesus, I am given Jesus again, not so that I can go to heaven when I die, but so that my life can become the vehicle through which Jesus lives his life on earth. And so the obedience that is being called for is a Christ-rooted obedience. It's him saying, yes, Lord, in me and through me. This is exactly what is called for. In fact, in verse 12, uh, there's the word for work, which means effort, as we've talked about. Verse 13 The word work, not the same word in Paul's language. It's the word from which we get energy. What we're being told is that what you've you've been challenged to do in verse 12 is energized by God in you who wills and to work his good pleasure. This is not new to Paul. He's, He's simply referencing what Jesus himself have, has said, you're probably very familiar if you've grown up in a church culture with the words of Jesus in John 15. I, I've gotten my notes to read verses 1 through 8, but let's just jump right at it. Verse 4, John 15, abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine. He says, you're the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Do you see what Jesus is saying here? He's saying your your number one responsibility, if you are going to engage your faith strongly, is to root yourself deeply in Jesus. And as your life is rooted deeply in Jesus, his life begins to overwhelm yours. And your life and my life begins to take on the character of Christ. This is frankly where I've lived in my head for about four or five years now. The idea that the goal of the Christian life here is for my life to bear witness of Jesus. For my life to become a vehicle through which Jesus lives his life. And so the thing that I'm really trying to do in my life right now is to follow the commands of Paul in, in Colossians chapter 3, verses 12 through 14, where he says, put on then, as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, meekness, humility, and patience, bearing with one another. And if anyone has a complaint against another, forgiving one another. As Christ has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. And above all these things, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. I don't read those verses anymore and say, i got to be compassionate, which I fail at miserably, or kind, or humble, or meek, or patient, or forgiving, or loving. 
I read those as putting on Christ. To abide in Christ. So that, going back to Philippians chapter 2, God is free to work in me both to will and to work for his good pleasure. This is what it means to sustain. To pursue Jesus with everything and then let Jesus transform our lives. A follower of Jesus is someone who sustains a commitment to personal spiritual growth by running hard after Jesus. So, if that's what it is, if it's running hard after Jesus, are you sustaining or are you snoozing? Are you running or are you standing still? Are you driving or are you in park? It's a very serious question. And I fear that far too many of us adopt an approach to the Christian life that leads us to believe that God is obligated to sustain a commitment to us, but we are not obligated to sustain a commitment to Him. Like, it's an option or something. The luxury model of Christianity if we are doing what Paul is calling us to do here. Folks, it's not. What Paul is calling us to in Philippians 2 is not pro-level Christianity. It's baseline Christianity. Christianity 101. You are to be, we're all to be, working out our salvation with fear and trembling, taking serious what a commitment, not just to have received forgiveness and go to heaven, but what a commitment to follow Jesus as king, that's what we talked about last week, really means. It's not an option. It's an obligation. It's a responsibility. So the one who would sustain their walk with Jesus is the one who would declare every single day, I will discipline myself to experience God's transforming power. You say, okay, well, how do you do that? Let me tell you how I do it. And I didn't learn it in seminary. And I didn't learn it because I've been following Jesus for decades, and I didn't learn it because I have been in vocational ministry basically my entire adult life. I, I learned it because a youth minister and a pastor showed it to me when I was a kid. I take time every day to put myself before the Word of God. And what I've learned over the last three years is rather than just check the box and reading it, I pray it back to God. That's what I do. What it looks like for me is I, I have a little book, a resource that I've been using for over a year now called Seeking Jesus' Face, which it helps you pray the scriptures. It's a collection of scriptures is all it boils down to. And it helps you pray the scriptures, and I just use the psalm part of it. So I start... I start, well, actually, I start my day by reviewing my verses and then uh, writing what the high and low temperature of the day before was because I'm a weather nerd. But what I do then is I pray through that psalm that's given me. Today is Psalm 13. Psalm 13 begins with, Lord, why are you silent? And I just praise God. He's not silent in my life. I've been through those times, but he's not silent in my life right now, and I praised him for that. And then it goes into how he seeks passionately 
you know, uh, time with the Lord, and I just prayed that the Lord would give me that same kind of passion to, to seek Him out, to, to be desperate for the presence of God. And then I closed it, and I opened up my Bible, and I am praying through the New Testament right now, and I'm in Matthew 8. I started it back in November. I, I'm in Matthew 8, and I read verses 1 through 4, and it just talked about Jesus after the Sermon on the Mount, went out, and he saw the sick, and he uh, healed them. And so I began to pray in that moment for the people in my head from our church family who are going through health difficulties. And if I had their contact information, I reached out to them and told them, let me just give you a secret. This is going to break all the evangelical rules, okay? I don't have a prayer list. If you ask me to put you on the prayer list, and I tell you I am, I have just in that moment created a prayer list. I'm too ADD to keep up, keep up with it, I mean, for one thing. But the rest of it is, is that I have found that I am more impactful in my prayers when I'm aware of the things that you all have shared with me and the Lord brings them to mind when I'm praying. And if I could tell you time and time again the supernatural ways that God in that moment has spurred me to pray for people and I've let them know about it, it'd blow your mind. That's what I do. And I, I hope as I leave that time, it is putting me in a situation where throughout the rest of the day, I am oriented towards Jesus and walking with him throughout the day and calling him to mind throughout the day. It takes a commitment 20, 30 minutes a day. You can't do it on the fly. But by doing that and not really saying, you know, Lord, I got this sin and that sin, even though sometimes that comes in that I'm dealing with, or Lord, I got this task or that task, even though that comes into it, by just saying, I'm here to be with God. I'm here to be with Jesus. Through that, working that out, being strongly engaged with that, I've got a long way to go, but little by little, I'm starting to become more like Jesus. That's what's being called for in Philippians chapter 2. So, I don't want you to leave here feeling guilty. I don't want you to leave here to feel like all of this is beyond you. I also don't want you to leave here feeling like this is a take it or leave it kind of thing. I want you to leave here knowing what God has called for from you but also understanding that he's there to give it to you and to lean into that and see what Jesus does with your life and through your life. Let's pray.